Jewish Money Matters, episode 256, How to Become a Real Estate Investor with Tamar Ermes, real estate investor, expert, and author of The Millionaire's Mentality. You're listening to Jewish Money Matters, the podcast where Jewish wisdom and spirituality meet your money and your business. Money is a means to serve God in this world with joy, to build a life that leaves an imprint way beyond our time in this world. I want you to discover the secrets to Jewish wealth, to gain practical and spiritual tools to break free from the shackles of financial worry, to design the joyful, rich life that your soul desires. Welcome to Jewish Money Matters. I'm Yael Trush, and I'm so glad you're here. Did you know that approximately 93% of all millionaires are made from real estate, yet only 30% of all investors are women? You're listening to Jewish Money Matters. I'm Yael Trush, your host. Welcome to the show. Today, we're talking all about real estate investing with the author of The Millionaire's Mentality, Tamar Ermes. This is one of my favorite topics and one we haven't tackled enough on the show, which is why I'm so excited to bring Tamar Ermes on. Tamar helps us understand why real estate is not just a great way to build wealth, but according to Tamar, the best way. The different options when it comes to real estate deals, and then, of course, the options we have to finance those deals. We talk about the steps you should be looking to take in order to become an investor. And of course, we talk about the real estate market today. But we also discuss Tamar's upbringing as an American daughter of Holocaust survivor father and a Sabra mother raised in a kibbutz during those turbulent days preceding the founding of the state of Israel, and how this impacted her now millionaires mentality. A little bit more about Tamar. She has more than two decades of investing and wealth building experience and teaches women how to invest in real estate with ease. She's a highly sought after speaker and thought leader on the topics of real estate investing for women, wealth building, and asset portfolio diversification. Tamar has been featured in countless media and podcasts such as Voyage Austin, The Bigger Pockets Podcast, Conscious Millionaire, The Real Estate Investor Show, Money Matter Podcast, and now Jewish Money Matters. Her new book is The Millionaire's Mentality, The Professional Women's Guide to Building Wealth Through Real Estate. Here's Tamar Ermes. Tamar Hermes, welcome to Jewish Money Matters. It is such a pleasure to have you on the show. I'm so excited for this conversation today. I am as well. I'm a huge fan of the podcast and I I love the mission. I love the message and everything that you're sharing and your energy and your knowledge. Well, the feeling is mutual because I don't know if I've ever told you this before, but I am super passionate about real estate. And I don't, I think it's a topic that we're not talking about enough as women. And certainly I haven't given it the attention that it deserves on the podcast. So what, what better person than you to come and educate us and really get us inspired and give us that clarity that we need? Cause it can be a little bit of an intimidating topic. I, and there's a little bit of a boys club mentality. <laughs> in it. So I'm excited to dive in. I know you have a book coming up, The Millionaire's Mentality. So we have a lot to cover. So I thought we might want to get started with what what was the bug? Because you've been investing in real estate already for decades. And now you're and you're educating women about it. You have all online programs. Now you're coming out with your book. When did this start? When did it click that you said real estate is where the wealth building opportunity is? And I need to, you know, I need to get going on this. Yeah, absolutely. 
So I was uh, an executive in the entertainment industry and Mm -hmm. I was doing pretty well 25, 30 years ago at this point, making over six figures and thought I had it made, but could feel something inside me thinking, is that all there is? Mm -hmm. And when we have to spend over 40 hours a week, even when we have a flexible schedule, we're still trading time for money and we still have to do certain things at certain times. And I didn't like that. I wanted time freedom. I wanted my life to be designed by me and I want to be able to make the choices that I wanted to make. And so I was searching for how was I going to be able to reduce my expenses because I didn't come from an affluent family and needed that paycheck really to right. cover my lifestyle. And even though it wasn't extraordinarily glamorous, it still was providing me with a, a great place to live and I could travel and I could go out to dinner with friends, things that we all want. And so I started looking for opportunities and Mm -hmm. that was when I stumbled onto real estate and I bought my first duplex. I got a tenant to pay for part of the mortgage. Mm -hmm. And I saw right away how once you're over that hump of the first purchase, because it is a lot of money, then it, it really starts to grow from there. Mm -hmm. And I, I'm, I'm just taking from that, that we really have to have a long-term view, right? Of what do we want to achieve? What What is it that we really want our money to facilitate for us, right? Because the money itself is really never the end. It's really the means. And I heard from you, I wanted to be able to spend time doing other things. I didn't want to trade time for dollars. I think that's something that we can all, everybody in the audience can relate to. And I think especially as Jewish people, honestly, we're like really mission driven. Like we want to raise families. We want to build legacies. We have so so many other um, goals And so this idea of getting stuck in the nine to five (laughs) and retiring one day with a 401k, it's just not necessarily so attractive. (laughs) And we're not taught any different. And that's the thing that's so challenging. And that's the reason why I do the work. Oh, and by the way, the book is out already. So it's the millionaires mentality a professional women's guide to building wealth through real estate. But we'll talk about that later. But I wanted everyone to know you can get it already. And, uh, for me, what bothered me the most was that I, the trapped feeling was really a lack of knowledge. Mm. And it's really, that's why I'm so grateful for this podcast, for the world that we live in now, where we have resources, where we can get information, because the scariest part is the not knowing. And there's going to be some uncertainty with any investment. We always have an element of risk. We're trying to mitigate risk. We're trying to calculate risk. But once we learn what we're doing, to me, real estate is a lot, feels a lot less risky than anything in the stock market Mm. because I feel like I have more control. And to Mm -hmm. me, control means that I can create the financial future that I want. I can sell an asset. I can refinance an asset. I can uh, get cash flow, monthly income, doing nothing. I can do it passively, meaning that somebody else can do all the work for me and I can collect or I can do the work myself. So, I mean, mm-hmm. I have just so many options and I just I just want more and more women to understand this, men too, but really anyone should really understand how this works and what we're capable of and the opportunity available The other one point that I want to mention is you talk about time and really time is really the thing that hurts us the most in any investment, right? Because we're not patient. Market goes down, everybody gets out. 
right? Oh, I mm-hmm. lost money. No, you only lost money because you left the market. The mm-hmm. nice thing about real estate is it's a lot harder to exit. And mm-hmm. when it's harder to exit, you're forced to stick in that in that investment for a longer period. And the result is generally a, a really big payday. I actually love what you just said, because I never thought about it that way. You're right. There is a benefit to that that less liquidity sort of speak, right? Because it, it is a less liquid investment. But the positive side of that is that you can calm your, you can temper down the emotions because you're kind of locked in, but that plays in your favor because you're in this for the long term, which is really what we're all in it for, right? Absolutely. The appreciation and the ca- all the things that come with and it. And you can count on the cash flow generally because a tenant is paying the mortgage and the bills. And if your rents and all your expenses are covered by the tenant and then there's leftover, that's your profit. You can reinvest that. You can spend that. You can live on it. It's very popular right now for a lot of people to build their cash flow first and foremost so that they can actually spend their time and uh, doing what they want to do and having that money come in every month. Yeah. So you talked about the lack of education and and the need for us to start learning the how. So let's talk a little bit about the how, because you already mentioned some of the the options of the investment options that we have out there, like the syndication or the do it yours, you know, buy a property, have some tenants. There's just so many options. And I guess my question is twofold. One, maybe let's walk listeners through some of those options at maybe even, you know, at least briefly, but also I want to, I'm, I'm looking to see if you could answer like, what do we do we focus on one strategy first? Because I think you mentioned that you went in and you got tenants, right? Um, maybe also try, let's tackle that because having many options, I don't know if one should tackle a few or one should go in on one strategy for a while. So let, let's walk us through that. That's such a great question. And it's something that I actually think is one of the stumbling blocks because the confused mind does nothing. And there are so many options and it's expensive. So no one wants to make a mistake because it's not Mm -hmm. like, oh, I lost $10. Mm -hmm. So uh, the, the, and meanwhile, we're wasting time. (laughs) Exactly. And meanwhile, we're wasting time thinking about not losing the money. So we're not going to do that. So I, I actually created a personality quiz. It's just tomorrowquiz.com and that all walks through what is your real estate personality. So let's talk about it right now. Mm -hmm. So, there's a, there isn't one right answer in terms of whether to go narrow and deep or whether to focus on one strategy at a time. Mm-hmm. But logic tells us, and what we know about entrepreneurialism, investing, that when we go narrow and deep on something that we believe in, it generally will scale faster. So it's good to start with step one, as opposed to having your hands in 20 different pots, because then you really learn nothing very well and you're a little frazzled and, and it can create a little bit of chaos Mm -hmm. that we don't want. So I would say you want to discover how much time you have. So based on the time, you may want to put your money in with an investor and earn returns, uh, which are usually anywhere from, they're generally upwards of 15% annualized uh, mm-hmm. and they're paying you cash flow during the investment. So those, those passive investments are very lucrative. You also get depreciation, which means that you get a tax deduction. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a whole other conversation. <laughs> we have to have a part two real yeah. estate. <laughs> and, um, and so that's one thing, you know, if you don't have time, you have to have someone else do the work. 
Mm-hmm. Now, if you have the time, the inclination, you want more, even more control because obviously when you turn an investment over to a third party, you have to really trust that person. If you don't feel comfortable with that, some people like to have their own uh, investments. So if that's the case, you need to then decide, well, what kind of, uh, what kind of money do I have, right? Because mm-hmm. more money equals more options. If you have a ton of capital right now that you're sitting on, you can do a lot of different things. You can buy a multifamily unit. You could buy a mobile home park. But if you only have a little bit of resource, you may need to start with a single family home. Mm-hmm. And so, you, you, you know, a lot of that will kind of dial down the variables for you. Mm-hmm. There are options within that where you can do seller finance deals, which means that the seller will actually finance the deal and you don't need to have as much capital going in. Or you can bring in a partner that has capital, but you're doing the work and finding the deal. So there's a lot of options. What you need to look at is is uh, what is comfortable for you. Mm-hmm. And then what resources do you have? Who do you know that's in real estate? Maybe you have an uncle that's in real estate that's always wanted to teach you, but you've been thinking, no, I don't want to do it. Now maybe you can talk, have a conversation and say, hey, can I give you some money and get a piece of the deal? Or can you help me buy something? You you have you you start to open up the conversations in terms of where you can go with this. So, and the other popular model is the um, the short term rental, and that's mm-hmm. just just have, can't to have a conversation with all of the options. Um, there's many more that I'm not including right now, but the short term rental has really become a very viable option for a lot of. Uh, investors because you can actually buy a single family home and rent it out like a hotel and profit uh, very well. Certainly you want to mitigate risks there, but you can do, uh, you have a lot of options there and it's a really great, uh, great avenue to go down if you want to build your cash flow and your net worth quickly. And you know, like you said before, there's always going to be an element of risk and that's why we're going to get a return, right? And so the important thing is actually to act on something, to choose something and do that first deal, right? <laughs> and, you know, you talked about you might have an uncle who might be might have wanted to give you some pointer, some advice. And perhaps you even have that uncle who has never approached you to give you some pointers. But let's take something from this conversation. It is the onus is on us to start asking the questions, right? To come to the table and say, you know what? I don't know anything about this, but I'm really interested in growing wealth in a way that feels a lot more aligned with, you know, my goals, right? And I know you invest in this and I don't know anything about this. Would you teach me? I think this is always an important part because sometimes we're so scared and so shy um, and that holds us back from yes, hundred percent. Right? And really, statistically, even though you hear about a lot of people that are really successful in real estate these days, because it's definitely uh, the genie's out of the bottle. A lot of people know that real estate is a is a great way to grow wealth, but yet we still have only thirty percent of women are real estate investors. And out of all the people, men and women that want to invest in real estate, I think out of all the people that want to do it, the statistic is still extremely low in terms of people that actually end up pursuing it and taking action on it. So it's so true. It really does start with deciding that you're going to go for it and start somewhere and, uh, and, and take some mitigated risk and don't be afraid to ask people. And also don't be afraid to invest in yourself. You know, mm-hmm. I have invested a lot of money in coaches, in support. There's definitely resources and mentors that have come to me for no money, but I'm willing to 
see what it is that I feel will take me to the place that I want to go. Right. And I'm going to invest in that, whatever right. it is, I'm going to make it happen to get there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You mentioned a little bit on the different options that we have. And I know you dive into them a, a lot more in your book. One of the things that you mentioned is the, the two criteria is that just just to even, you know, kind of put yourself in, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a path, I guess, you mentioned the two criteria depends on how much time you have, or how, how much money you have. So the money piece always, I feel it's a question that people have. Um, perhaps you can tell us what are the different options? Because really, there's a lot of flexibility, we get a little bit stuck and think, well, until I save $50,000, and I have them liquid in the bank, I won't be able to even think about real estate. But as you and I know, there are really creative options out there on how to finance these deals. So why don't you talk to us about that so that people's minds kind of explode? <laughs> <laughs> yes. So there are ways to, uh, to finance those deals. Now, money makes things easier. Mm -hmm. And it's just a fact. I mean, we know that if you have a certain amount of money, you can do certain you, you can do certain things that you can't do if you don't have money. And it, it just shouldn't stop you depending on where you're at. So if you need a deal where you want seller finance, you really need to be a little bit more of a hunter. Mm -hmm. And a hunter for the deal, you have to start looking for off market deals, you have to so that you don't have as much competition, you need to go to those mom and pops, uh, which we call, you know, more smaller independent owners, where mm -hmm. maybe they have a lot of uh, equity in the property, and they're ready to get out and they really like you and they see that you're responsible and you want to make a deal. And it helps save them on taxes uh, to not get a big lump sum. And so you can start paying them and making a loan with them. It is definitely more challenging. There's books on it um, that teach, you know, how to buy a property with low or no money down. It isn't my forte. I generally will work with women that have some money, uh, because it, it, it's just a different category of where we're at. But one of the things you mentioned too is, and this is such a cha challenge. And I know I struggled with this for a long time, which is that let's say you have 10,000 and it's not quite enough to buy the property that you'd want to buy. So do you keep saving and you don't want to invest it in the stock market because stock market can go down. So you're really just kind of sitting on the money. And with inflation right now, we don't, you are losing money. So, um, so what I would say is, you know, you want to look at the market conditions right now. I mentioned the inflation situation. So we really need to do everything we can to keep our money moving. Mm -hmm. It does give you less flexibility because yes, it does make sense to save your money and buy a property that makes sense. However, if you have 10,000 right now, you can go to certain parts of the world. Uh, and um, I shouldn't say the world, like if we're talking about the United States right now, but you can do it anywhere in the world. So you really can. Mm -hmm. But um, but naturally, you know, if you're going to buy something in Austin, it's going to be significantly more expensive than you buy something in a suburb in Ohio. Right. So there are there there are variables there. So you you want to figure out a way to get your money working with where you're at. Uh, there are all, also uh, ways in which you you can find partners. And if I only had ten thousand dollars right now and I needed to invest, there's definitely uh, if you go on Fundrise and some of these partnership. Uh, uh, deals, you can actually put your money in and get a very small piece of equity 
The only thing about that, I'm not sure what those returns look like. It will lock up your money. So if you really have your heart on getting your own properties and building your own portfolio, that may that may lock up that, that money and not give you mm-hmm. the flexibility. So what you may, may want to do is find some, if you have 10,000, find four other friends that have 10,000 and then right. buy something together. Right. Uh, you know, or another popular uh, strategy when you first start out is what has been called now is house hacking. And you mm-hmm. can actually buy a place and you can rent out the rooms and then cover your rent that way. I mean, it's definitely more of a younger person's game. I think we reach a point in our yeah. lives where hopefully we have our families and we want to live together with our family and maybe some extended family, but not you know, uh, roommates. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and also looking at, we have other assets that are not just the cash in the bank, right? And we might have, we might already own a property for a number of years. So that is an asset where we can take money out. So an often we don't think about that. We also don't think about our 401ks. I hadn't even thought about that, to be honest with you, until I read the book. Um, so, so talk to us about those different options, because again, there are creative ways and a lot of us are just sitting on the money, but we don't even realize it. Yeah. These are two amazing points that you just brought up. Yell. And these are, these are gold right now. Mm-hmm. So let's, let's take the, the, the house. So, a lot of times the way we're, especially in my generation, we were brought up, pay down your house, don't have debt, just pay it down so that when you're old, you have no debt. And it's right. just this kind of like cookie cutter life that right. none of us want to live anymore. I, mean, <laughs> I don't even know if the people in, the, in that generation want to live it, but they didn't know any better. But right. thank God we live today, you know, in this in this lifetime that we're here, we know that we oh that we have options. So what happens is that let's say you bought your house eight years ago and you paid 300,000 and now the house is worth a million. So mm-hmm. you actually have $700,000 that is equity that's sitting in that house. And right now, interest rates have climbed, but they're still low enough where if you borrow that money at 6%, 5%, you can actually take that money and make 20% from an asset. So mm-hmm. what you want to do is what we call leverage. And yes. leverage means that we're using our resources intelligently, not to go, I didn't say, you know, to go and buy a fancy dress or go to go on a holiday because you just want to go but to actually take that money and utilize it towards something, towards an asset and start multiplying what you have. And it feels scary because yes, your interest, your, your mortgage will go up, right? Because you're taking out a bigger loan, but it's the time where you need to educate yourself and bet on yourself to utilize that money. You also have HELOCs, uh, which is the home equity line of credit, which is another way. Again, if you're using it to buy an asset and you see where you can, make that money work for you. It's very different than taking that money because you want to build a new pool. That's Mm -hmm. not necessarily a great use of the money. People do it and it is a lifestyle choice. And so I don't, I I think it's fine. But I think if you only have $50,000, there's no way I would spend it on building a pool. I would, I would buy a property. And I I did that actually when I, my first property, I had saved $40,000. I could have gone on a first class trip somewhere, but now I have an asset worth a million and a half. So mm-hmm. it, it made sense. The Amazing. second piece, the 401k is very, also very important. So mm-hmm. when we're working in a company and we're funding the 401k, oftentimes the company will want to 
invest that 401k for you. They're doing that to protect you. Right. What they feel they want to make sure that that money is protected for you for retirement. But once you leave that company, you can take that money. And if you own your own company, you should have a solo K or 401k. And with that money, you can do what is called self-directed. Nobody tells you this. You go to a financial advisor. Most of the time, they're going to sell you the products that they're going to make money on. Mm -hmm. They don't make money on telling you to go take your money and do it yourself. Mm -hmm. So that is not a conversation that generally comes into play. But there is there is what is known as a self-directed 401k, a self-directed IRA. And what that means is that you can take that money and you can control it. You can take that and invest in real estate. You need to be very careful though. And remember that it is a retirement account. So it's not like you take the money and then you can spend it next year. You can't spend it without penalty or without paying taxes until retirement is taxed for dollars. You Mm -hmm. also can't commingle that money. So you can't take that money and, uh, and, and work and work with it other than making it self-directed and giving, like you could give that money to me and I can invest it for you, but you can't control it. There's, there's rules and regulations in, um, in depending on how your, uh, your, um, 401k self-directed account is structured. Mm-hmm. And so you want to very, be, be very careful because you don't want to get disallowed by the government. Oh my gosh. I think, I think this deserves a, a really deep dive because there's that this, what you're saying is there are some steps between, you know, you leave your job and you have this 401k and you're like, oh, well now I'm not going to get another, I'm not, you know, let's say somebody leaves, like now so many people are leaving and starting their own thing, or they're just like taking time off. Right. So it's like, I could leave it sitting there or I could just transfer it and open a, a, a traditional IRA or, or if I start a company, I could, Right. But there are steps here that we need to take if we or get educated on how to take them if we wanted to channel this into now being something that we can use for real estate investing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And just remember, it's not that hard. It sounds mm-hmm. complicated because you've never heard it before. Right. But it's really just step one, step two, step three. Talk to the CPA, make sure you're in line and you can do it. Right, 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 right. Okay. So ladies, it really does require an education. And by the way, HELOCs are also, I'm I'm glad that you mentioned it. I actually was just talking to my husband recently about it. I was like, hmm. But anyway, (laughs) if we were going to map out, if we were going to, if somebody's listening to us and, and they're like, okay, this sounds interesting. By the way, we haven't even told them why we think it's so interesting. Actually, let's do that. Why do we think, or why does Tamar think real estate is really the best investment um, to be made? I think real estate is the best investment to be made because one, it offers you all the control that I was talking about in terms of managing your money. And and also the market is not as susceptible to the stock markets as the mm-hmm. ups and downs. I think it's easier to understand. And that's one of the things that worked so mm-hmm. well for me. I'm a smart person, but the stock market, it was just, you know, I'm in it, but not not very much. It's maybe a 10% of my portfolio, but it was just up and down, up and down, up and down. And I just didn't, I didn't love that at all. Uh, you have opportunities for tax deductions in depreciation and in um, all kinds of tax incentives for properties. Um, even if you own your personal property, hopefully you're utilizing all of your uh, mortgage interest payments and all the other things that you can deduct. There's also mm-hmm. an advantage to that. Uh, you're building equity, you're paying down if your tenants are paying your the mortgage, they're actually paying your loan for you. Mm-hmm. They're paying your loan for you. Oftentimes you get money left over, which is your cash flow. 
and then all your bills are paid. I mean, where else can you do that? I know. I mean, there's just not a better deal in town. I know. So I absolutely uh, love the opportunity of real estate. I just don't understand how how anyone would not want to buy real estate. Also, over time, if you look historically, you know, maybe the averages, they say the average of real estate investing is 10%, like, kind of like the stock market. But right. the truth is, real estate, you make so much money. Higher. So mm-hmm. much more because I they believe don't it. count in all the bells and whistles that go into real estate investing. There's just no way if, if you, I have conversations with Harvard economists and they're looking at my portfolio and saying, how are you getting these returns? Mm-hmm. And I'm just sorry, you're not, you know, investing in real estate. Yeah, no, I, I, I believe it. So, so, so after you bought that first property, um, what was the second step? <laughs> you got the bug, you bought, you got those tenants and then, and then what happened? You got another, the same type of deal. I did. I got the same kind of, kind of deal in the same area. And I did it. I repeated, I rinsed and repeat several times before mm-hmm. I started branching out and doing other things. I also did not have the resource. Mm hmm. Uh, in terms of what was available to me. I was very intimidated by the whole process of real estate investing. Real estate investing was not for me. I didn't grow up wealthy. I didn't grow up with people that, that parents that had real estate. I didn't understand. Actually, my parents had a house, but we, uh, when they divorced, they, they, we lost the house. Mm-hmm. So the thing is, is that I didn't understand all that was available to me. So I was really treading very cautiously. Mm-hmm. And also we didn't have the internet then we didn't have so many of the resources. And I had just been hearing in my head, it's risky, you're going to lose everything, hold mm-hmm. on to your cards, pay down your debt. So I was moving very slowly. So today, if I was going to do I did buy I maybe would have bought another duplex in the mm-hmm. same place It worked out very well. But I probably there's definitely things along the way that I would have done differently. Mm-hmm. Um, and I probably would have utilized the 1031 exchange, I probably sooner, I would have utilized um, uh, refinance sooner, I would have uh, been um, been buying more, uh, more proactively, I wouldn't have been working with my dollars the way that I was, I would have pumped the gas a little bit more. Mm-hmm. You know, it's funny because now when I was hearing you speak in the, the, we were answering the prior question and you were talking, you know, you mentioned the cash flow and now you just mentioned the 1031 exchange and you not being so comfortable with the stock market. I, you know, I was having this conversation with my husband not long ago where he's not that comfortable with the stock market, but I am. So I manage all of that part, but he's a real estate guy. So anything like he could talk about cap rates and 1031 exchanges and cash flow and depreciation, and all the things. And for me, it's like a different language. <laughs> and so it's just the, the comfort level is not there. But the truth is, he always tells me, yeah, El, it's actually so simple. <laughs> It's actually, it sounds intimidating, but it's, it's like anything you can learn it. Everybody can learn it. Absolutely. And everything's always scary when we don't know what we, what we're doing because we haven't done it before. And it's always, it's always walking into that space where we don't want to be uncomfortable. And that was actually, I, I, there was actually, I don't know if it was on your podcast or on somebody's recently, they were talking about, uh, again, the, the same thing that I share, which is that we don't, we're not conditioned to be uncomfortable. It scares us. Yeah. It yeah. is scary and we don't like it and we resist it. Yes. Unfortunately, the only way to climb the mountain 
is to be uncomfortable in anything that we do. I mean, you started this podcast. I mean, how much courage did that take? Yeah. I mean, how many things have we done where we step into something and we're just like, okay, here we go. Yeah. And we have no idea how it's going to land, what we're doing. Sometimes we have no nobody su- supporting us other than our families um, immediately. And we have to just keep walking if we believe in what we're doing. And I just wanted a life on my own terms. It was non-negotiable for me. It was like kids and a life on my own terms. Wow. Like that was what I wanted. So, wow. you know, that was my two things, like non-negotiables Like you have to ask yourself at the end of my, at the end of my journey here, right. what is, what am I going to sit on my, on my last days and say, I wish I would have, mm-hmm. I don't want to have that conversation with myself. Yeah. 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 And, and we don't realize that on the other side of that discomfort is such a great payoff, right? Like that's where the wonder is. It's so, I have something that you wrote in your book, and I'd love for you to expand on this because I just thought it was so brilliant. You wrote, it's just as easy to be wealthy as it is to struggle. And I'm like, she just gets it. <laughs> like, it is so good, right? Um, I'd love for you to help women with that a little bit because I don't think we get that. I, I, I don't think people get that it can be just as easy to build that life. And we just kept, we keep arguing for the restraint. We keep arguing and, and validating that which we know on our parents' story. And you know what, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's the difference between knowing and not knowing. Between mm-hmm. uh, wanting to sit in our misery of discomfort of the struggle or the misery of discomfort of growing wealth because it really is that simple. It's just a choice. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and so that's why I really believe that that's true because it's, it's not a hundred percent easy to become wealthy, but it's also, um, you know, not a hundred percent easy to be in struggle either. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Like we have to make these choices. Yeah. Which level of discomfort do you want? Right. (laughs) Just choose one. (laughs) Yeah. And it's also the other thing is, is that, you know, we can also choose to maybe go to a higher level. Like we haven't talked about spirituality. Like we haven't talked about like maybe, you know, maybe God's with us. Maybe we can decide what we want and trust in that and believe, you know what, do I want to be in this struggle or do I want to feel like I really want that, but I'm afraid to get it? Or do I want to feel like, hey, you know, I'm here on this earth and I'm not alone. I have also resource. I have power behind my back. Thank you. Exactly. And I think that is such a golden point because it's like, all of a sudden, we get, it, the, the being stuck is such a me-centered place. It's such a place of ego and devoid of God and godliness, whereas surrendering to God's will and God wants you to have all of that, that is such a higher place of being where, yes, of course, you're going to get uncomfortable, but you're doing God's work. You're doing God's mission. Why? Because it goes back to the why. Like you said very clearly, I wanted the freedom to raise my family to do it, right? That's what God wants for me. He doesn't want me to be suffering. So I have to get, I, I have to get out of my own way. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And it also takes a lot of the fear away, doesn't it? When it's not all on you, like yes. you said, that me centric, like all of a sudden when there's a higher feeling of like, you know what, I'm here 
not to be in a struggling space. I'm right. here to create. And yeah, I mean, if I fall, I'm somebody's going to pick me up, you know, yep. pick myself up. The, and there's no better, no better entity to pick us up. <laughs> yeah. And especially when, you know, especially as you're, as you're younger and we have energy and, uh, you know, I'm actually entering a little bit of a different season in terms of like, there's certain things I don't want to do anymore. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas I used to be like, yeah, let's do that. Now I'm like, eh, I'll pass on that. But, but when you're younger, you can make, you, you really are so able and capable. And if you look at successful entrepreneurs, successful investors, I mean, they were, they took those risks because they knew, Hey, if I fall, like there's not that much that's going to happen. It's like, you know, we don't have, we don't, we're not that much at risk. I can create it. I can recreate. Yes, 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 yes. So, so good. You mentioned your parents and, uh, you know, often on the show, we talk about the fact that our upbringing and, you know, this ties into what we're just talking about right now, our upbringing does shape a lot of how we end up thinking about money and behaving with money. What was your upbringing like? Um, I know your father was a Holocaust survivor. So talk to us a little bit about your upbringing and how that impacted you as you transitioned to adulthood and making those big financial decisions. Yeah, absolutely. That was one of the huge hurdles for me. Uh, my father was um, in the Holocaust. My mom was actually a pioneer in Palestine before it became Israel. She used to have in her kibbutz, she had Syrian shooting at her as a young girl because her family was there to create the land of Israel. And so mm-hmm. needless to say, both my parents grew up with an intense amount of legitimate real fear that, you know, we can't even fathom in our lifetimes. And as we know, any traumas, they stay with us. And so as they were bringing up my sister and I, uh, you know, we were affected by the way in which they were able to function in the world and the way they were able to nurture us and love us and teach us, Hmm. which was a little bit limited because what they knew was survival. What they knew was protect yeah. yourself. What mm-hmm. they knew was stay safe and mm-hmm. staying safe a lot of times. And I think about this sometimes is one of the big hurdles for me, I think in growing wealth had to do, and even having peace with having money has to do with the fact that I realized that for my parents being seen was dangerous. Yes. And when we think of money, it's, it creates more visibility. Mm-hmm. It creates, you know, you have a fancier car, you have a bigger house that could be psychologically perceived yeah. as being a feeling of danger. Yeah. It's so triggering. I, yeah. I think I had a little bit of that. It took mm-hmm. me the first chapter in the book is it's okay to want money. It took mm-hmm. me a really long time to not feel greedy, to not feel like it was ungrateful for just in you know, my breath, my life. Wasn't that enough? And to actually want to have more and not be afraid of having more. Yeah. So powerful. It's so true because yeah, there's a difference between surviving and thriving. Right. And, and they really, that's what they knew they needed to survive. (laughs) And for them, their level of their level of contentment was, you know, right here, you know, my mom, my mom, you know, still lives in a place where she would rather be comfortable then be uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it, it, it definitely, I feel like, uh, impairs the quality of life that she has mm-hmm. for her. 
safety is so ingrained in her core and being comfortable. It's just where she feels, where she feels like uh, she feels alive. Yeah. The other doesn't feel comfortable. So she never, she didn't have as many resources and tools as we had in this generation. We had so many more resources and mindset tools and ways in which we could think about how we want to live and so many more choices. It's, it's a very different time. Yeah, it's so important for women to be aware of of, of that story. Um, also, because a lot of the times as we're building a newer story, we still feel like there's that legacy, right? And we can't outdo our parents. It, it just it's very uncomfortable because there's that feeling of belonging. And it's this is all very subconscious, but it happens very often. And we we reach a point where we just hit that point and we can't get past it. And we don't know why we're not getting past it because we're perfectly qualified and we have all the opportunities and all the things. But sometimes there's that, like, how could I do better than them? Why is it what they build? Not enough, right? Mm -hmm. Really good. I love that. Yeah, 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 yeah. So important. So then I have to ask you, how did you, how were you able to, because there's so much here that we have to overcome when you grow up with that. What were some of those breakthroughs uh, that you had along the way or how did you achieve them? Because obviously you did, (laughs) you broke through tons of stuff that comes up, right? All the money demons (laughs) as we're building wealth. Um, can you share with listeners some of those experiences where you had some of those breakthroughs? Yeah, so absolutely. I was always very energetic. Mm-hmm. And remember, I tapped into what I didn't want, which was to be a prisoner to a job. Mm-hmm. And I also, the part that I did know that I wanted was I knew I wanted someday to have kids. And mm-hmm. I knew that I wanted to figure out a way for freedom. So Mm -hmm. when you know where you're heading, right? If you know in your heart, I want this, it's easier. Like if I say, I want to go to Hawaii today, I'm going to figure out, like I'm going to call the airline. I know the steps to take all of a sudden because I know where I'm going. I'm going to Hawaii. I know that there's a certain way to get there. So once you decide what it is that you want, I think it helps a lot. For me, one of the pivotal moments I share a lot is when I was 14 and a half, I lied about my age. I got a job. You could do that back in the day. They weren't now these days. They would, you could probably get away with it, but I was able to do that. I got a job at a, a, a restaurant. I was a hostess. I saved $5,000 and I bought a car. So that was the first time that I started realizing, okay, if I really want something, I knew I wanted the car. So I focused, I saved the money. I worked. I found a way to get a job to find money. It's the same principles. And the beauty of it is, as we are heading to these goals and climbing the hurdles, we mm-hmm. become more confident, right? Because yes, how confident was I when I was cruising around on my stick shift Ford Escort? I was pretty snazzy. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, it created a different part of me was developing that right. was showing me, hey, you have some capability here. Mm-hmm. You're not you're not a pawn in the game of yeah. life. You have some choices. The same thing when I bought the property. I just, I, I just walk through it now and every step we just get stronger and stronger. And then we need to stop and acknowledge the wins, which is still hard for me. It's hard for really successful women. Yes. And I think that is so key. So key because yes, it's all in the action, but some of us are so action driven that we forget to stop and, and really let that 
sink in or what I just achieved. Um, it's really important that we do that. Yeah, because that anchor is what's going to take you to the next place. Yeah. So we're always climbing. I'm, I'm still climbing hurdles. I'm still scared every day because I'm always creating something new. I'm always taking on a new challenge. Mm-hmm. To me, that's life. It needs to be like this. Mm-hmm. It needs to challenge me. And with every step, I need to sometimes ground myself, take a deep breath and look back and say, you've got this. Look what you've done. Yeah, exactly. You've done. Applause for you. Mm-hmm. Now let's go forward. Let's mm-hmm. walk into it. Know that you're not going to, that you're not going to die from it. Mm-hmm. And then you're going to keep moving forward. Yeah. Yeah. So, so good. So helping move, uh, women listening, move forward. Let's, let's, um, what would, what would you say is the first, let, let's do like a, a, an org chart, right? If we were to map it out for people, what would you th- say the steps are? Like, do we have to, find a lender first or find a property first or like, or, you know, what would you say? Listen, think about this in these steps. Well, the first thing is to figure out what it is that you want, right? Mm-hmm. And you have your time. So that's step one. So I've got to figure out, okay, I don't have any time. So I need to find investors that I can do deals with. Mm-hmm. Or I have all this money that's sitting. My priority is really to get this money from sitting into an asset. Okay. So once we kind of figure that out and once we figure out, okay, this, the, uh, you have to project, this is very important because once you buy a property, there's expenses with it. Yeah. Or once you invest something that's locked in for five years, you're not going to take that money out. You can't get that money back. So you need to make sure you have enough to support yourself. So you've got to also make sure, okay, I have enough money to fix the place if it, if, if it needs repair or if it's vacant, if a tenant moves out or if, uh, I, um, you know, suddenly uh, decide to change jobs or if someone needs a medical bill paid, I want to make sure I have all of that taken care of. So we set all that up Mm -hmm. and then we start taking action because by then, you know, okay, I'm going to invest passively. So I need to find a passive deal. Then you have to decide, okay, do I like the multifamily? Do I like mobile home park? And then you've got to start going on, go to meetups, go to network groups, start meeting people, start talking to people and start vetting, start getting uh, information. There's a lot of free resources on my website too. If you go to, um, when you go to tomorrowbook.com, there's, oh, there's a lot of free resources there that, um, awesome. that you can get um, in terms of, you know, vetting deals and questions to ask about, um, you know, when you're buying a property. So those are all things that you, that you will want to do. And then based on that, then we start, taking an action step plan, right? So if it's, we want to buy a single family home, yeah, we have to decide where, right? Mm-hmm, where are we buying? Mm-hmm. And then once, once you do that, then you can start narrowing in on, okay, this is where I'm buying. This is what I want. Once it gets, you know, once you start getting kind of a, I'm in sort of a new mon- monopoly right now. I have an area out of Austin that I'm buying in. I'm just about to put um, uh, the third property under contract. Uh, I have a whole, uh, I have a, uh, a whole, uh, configuration in mm-hmm. terms of what they'll pay, what the rents are, what the tenants are like. Like I know the area. I know we call it in real, if you're a real estate investor, they call it farming, right? You mm-hmm. pick your neighborhood, you know where you're looking. And that really helps a lot. It makes it really easy to make a decision so that when this property came up, I could quickly do math. I could quickly see 
how it would work for me. I know the budgets. I know all the elements. So that's part of what what will happen once you start narrowing your focus in on mm-hmm. what you want. So that's really important because that will make taking action a lot easier, right? The more we know, the more comfortable we are. Yeah. And you mentioned, I mean, and I'm glad you mentioned it. Um, I think the second thing that you mentioned was getting a handle on your finances, which is something that we all have to do no matter what, right? So no matter what you, 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 we all should be sitting with our numbers and knowing what is our financial picture right now? What does that look like? Like that's, that's really a starting point for anything that you want to do in order to continue on this path of growing wealth. Um, you got to know where you're holding. Um, so I'm glad you mentioned that. I want to ask you about now that you have all these years of experience under your belt, any any one of these where you felt like, wow, that was extra challenging, or maybe you even might call it a failure in some sense, but like one of those that you like learned a lot from and you're like, um, I, I'm not going there again. This is worth sharing for people so they don't make the same mistakes. What's one of those doozies? Yeah, the, there's a couple I can think of, although overall, like I said, I've been slow and steady and it's worked really well for me. A lot of like bases, doubles, triples. Um, and uh, one was recently I bought a uh, a lake house uh, in Arkansas and I had what we call boots on the ground, which means you have people in place that are you can trust and that can manage it for you because I don't live in Arkansas. So I'm clearly not going to be doing the day-to-day management of the property. And I was planning to Airbnb that property. The numbers looked great. The projections looked great. The place was great. And as we were going through the process, I kept saying, is this regulated? Can I Airbnb this? And, uh, and it turned out that in the, in the final hour after I had closed, after I bought the property, after I started buying furniture, but I was doing it slowly because I was smart enough to realize the deal's not done until the deal's done. I was told, nope, you're not going to be able to do this uh, short-term rentals. So I had to pivot quickly. And it was a nightmare. I had to, I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't a nightmare. It's just that it was time consuming. And when it's time consuming, sometimes I call it a nightmare because I don't like being bogged down by, by, minuscule busy tasks that I don't like. And, um, and it happened so fast that it was hard for me to delegate it. So I ended up doing a lot of the, a lot of the finagling on it. And uh, it just, it was, it was a hassle because I had to return furniture. I had to, um, uh, I had to pivot and figure out, okay, what am I going to do in this situation? What I ended up doing was I ended up renting it to a long-term tenant, uh, and I was able to still cash flow, which means I have mm-hmm. extra money left over still every month. Great. And, um, and it wasn't ideal because it wasn't the projected returns I was looking to. And it bought me a little time to kind of decide, okay, what am I going to do in the future? The laws may change over there, but I also may have some sort of plan B. But mm-hmm. what it taught me, the long, the long story short, which a little late for that, <laughs> but what it taught me was don't unless a deal is done, a deal's not done. Yeah. If someone knows the area and they're telling you, yeah, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Until the person that actually decides if it's fine, the city, the County, every single person, you don't have an agreement. Mm -hmm. Don't count on that. Don't count on anything in any deal that you're doing until you actually have verification that that's right. Yeah. That's actually what's going to happen. Yeah. I love that. And the truth is, 
like you said, you were able to turn it around, but it was a hassle. I mean, you now have this property, you have a long-term tenant, and this is going to probably appreciate and, you know, you might do all sorts of things. But for listeners to understand, it wasn't what you were expecting, what you had projected in terms of the cash flow. So that's a bit of a pain in the neck. <laughs> 100%. I mean, now the thing is, because real estate's so generous, I have a huge tax deduction on the property, which right. is going to more than pay for itself. I have now I do have a tenant that's paying the mortgage plus extra, not a lot of extra. Um, I could probably maybe take you Ellen, her husband out to dinner, maybe <laughs> afford that with the monthly. We'll uh, take you up on that. <laughs> and uh uh, although the the good thing is, is that I was conservative going in. I was a little more bold because I trusted my instincts. I trusted uh, the partner uh, to be able to execute. And, uh, and it taught me to be, you know, to be a little bit more cautious deals mm-hmm. not done until the deal's done. Yeah, 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 yeah. Some people might be listening at us and they might be like, well, why are we having this conversation in this crazy real estate market? You know, at the end of the day, like, this is really crazy. It's, it's, uh, it's not a buyer's market. <laughs> so, you know, some, some might be saying, I don't even know why Yael is diving into this conversation. Um, what's your take on that? Because you just mentioned that you're putting, you're closing on some properties in Austin. Not long ago, you did that lake house. What's your take? How should we take this at the moment? Yes. So currently I am under contract on five properties and actually probably, well, if I include the passive deals that I'm involved in more like eight properties. Mm -hmm. So, um, so the thing is, is that, uh, real estate, the best time to buy real estate was 20 years ago. The second best time is today. And the truth is, yes, it is a buyer's market. If you are creative, if you are diligent, if you can get off market deals and look and be strategic or get in with partners that get access mm-hmm. to off market deals. There's a couple of deals I'm in that I didn't do anything. They found the deal. I just put the money in. Mm-hmm. So it's then it's always a good time to buy. And the mm-hmm. truth is, is that the other side of the coin in terms of, oh gosh, real estate's so high right now is when you're losing 8% on your money in inflation while it's sitting in the bank. Right. In 10 years, your money's almost gone. Yeah. So you tell me, I'd rather pay an extra $30,000 or whatever it is to buy an asset Mm -hmm. to start building wealth as opposed to letting, you know, the government just keep printing and making the dollars less and less. Yeah, I really like that uh, that approach. It's true. Sometimes we get again, it's, it's, it's another excuse to keep us comfortable and to, you know, kind of hold us back. Um, and, and by the way, you know, some say, I don't know what do you, maybe you, you have an opinion on this. Some say this is a little bit going to crash pretty soon and that things are going to get more stable or more normal. Who knows? What do you say? <laughs> well, it's interesting. Um, the, the real estate market right now, it does look like it's stabilizing pretty mm-hmm. much everywhere. Definitely prices haven't come down, but whereas there were 20 offers for something and people were asking outrageous prices, no inspection, now, crazy prices. It, yeah. It's still, I mean, there's still high prices, but they're definitely, it's not as crazy as it was. And the reason's obvious because yeah. interest rates doubled. It went from right. three to six overnight. And some people are just 
priced out or they're waiting. A lot of people are saying that the government is just doing this to level out uh, the uh, the amount of money in the system and that eventually interest rates will come down again. We do have a huge deficit of housing. So, you know, there's millions of houses uh, mm-hmm. compared to the population that need to be built. So a lot of people feel like we, can, you know, the housing market can't crash because we need houses, right? right. And it's just simply a supply and demand issue. Um, although I think uh, crazier things have happened, as we all know. <laughs> and so I always think buy where the numbers make sense. Make sure you're make sure you're cautious about uh, managing what you're what you're putting in, what you're getting out, and that you have exit strategies. Don't ever think that anything can happen because it can. And if anyone tells you they have a crystal ball, then they they don't. Right. They really don't. Right. Right. Best, oh, the one thing I was going to say is one of the best crystal balls, though, is history. And if history repeats itself, which it has over and over again, it tells you that we are going to experience a recession and a crash. Yes, yes, yes. And But we shouldn't panic. That no, should not panic. Don't us. panic. That, that's the first rule. Don't panic. Keep getting yourself educated. Fine. If you really want to do real estate, find those deals and get yourself moving. Don't panic. All right. Before we wrap it up and you tell us where we can find you, and I know you have so many wonderful resources um, uh, for all of us to learn. I want to do what I call Jewish Money Matters Matters uh, fill in the blank. So I'm going to give you an open-ended sentence and you'll finish it with the first thing that comes to mind. All right. Okay. Okay. When I give charity, tzedakah, miser, however way you want to call it, I like to give to... I like to give to women and girls that need money because Mm -hmm. I feel like if they're educated, if girls are educated, if women are educated, then they can do so much in the world and they just get opportunity. Yes. So true. And by the way, as we're having this whole conversation, I had this fleeting thought of like, you know what, having, getting educated in this and sitting with somebody like Tamar is so much more valuable than getting a college education. I know what I'm saying is a little radical, but I just think it is like every teenager should be getting an education on this and not sit in a classroom learning all these classes and paying hundreds of thousands of dollars in student loans for nothing. (laughs) Sorry, not a great way to build wealth, people. (laughs) Anyway, I'd love to make more money because... I like to make more money because as my best friend always says, money is the river that waters grow. Um, And I just can't think of a more poetic way to just say why money is valuable. mm -hmm. Yeah, that's so beautiful. I love that. Something I wish I'd learned about money growing up is. I wish I knew that it, it wasn't for other people that it was also for me, that it's really for anyone that wants it and is willing to get it. I really so in my heart believed that money was not for me and mm-hmm. it just, it was just, uh, so permeating. And I wish I didn't have that feeling. Cause I think if I would have known, I probably would have made a lot of different choices, uh, earlier on and I would have been happier. Yeah. You know, you just reminded me, I, I, growing up, I heard a lot from some member, not everybody, but some members of my family in particular, I can't, I don't know if it has the right translation in English, but it was something to the effect of like, some are born with it, some aren't, you know, it was like that limited mindset, um, which you and I, and hopefully listeners know by now, it's so not true. It's so not true. But you know, sometimes we've been conditioned to believe that it's so ingrained, right? Money, spiritual or physical? Mm, Spiritual. Mm, Nice. Something I splurge on unapologetically is? 
facials. I love a good facial <laughs> once a month. You won't believe I just booked my appointment yesterday awesome. for, next, yes. for next week. It's worth it. It's so it's worth so it. It's so worth it. I actually took my teenage daughter and I said, uh, excuse me, I'm, I'm also due for one. So I booked my appointment. Um, Tamar, spender or saver? I think I know the answer to that. I mean, you were 15 and you were already 14 and saving for your car. Yeah, I'm a saver. Uh, although what's great is that as time's gone on and I have so much more money, I am able to be a spender and a saver, but I'm still, I'm still conscientious about money. There's still things where I won't, I won't spend. And the thing that I love also, and maybe you see this too, y'all and your kids is that we teach a conversation of money to our children. And I love the fact that there are certain things where my kids will say, Oh God, mom, no, we're not going to buy that. That's ridiculous. You know, like you just spend that much money on that. And I love that they think that way because I see that they're learning a value of money and a, a value of what it takes to make the money to spend the money. Yes. So it's, it's, so that's the other thing. So yeah, definitely in my heart, I'm more of a saver. Yes. Today I'm most grateful for. I'm just, I, I'm, I'm grateful for every moment. Mm. I really am. I'm just, I really am trying to now when I go outside and look at the trees. It sounds so corny, but I go outside and look at the trees and I really try to just take it in. And I try to take in this moment. I'm trying to take in more of every single thing that we pass by Yeah, because we miss so much by trying to get to the next thing. And I don't want that to happen. And I know I worked so hard so that I could create that. And yet what happens is that once you start the wheels rolling, you're just rolling and rolling and rolling. And before you know it, you're in this perpetual situation. I've been stressed about a couple new projects that I'm working on. And I have been feeling myself waking up thinking, you know, Mm -hmm. is this going to work out the way that I want it to? And then I have to, you know, go, go to, go to God, go to faith. And then also, get grounded in, okay, um, look how beautiful I'm in the bed and the, and the trees and get grounded a little bit more to have grace. And yeah. so that's really what I'm grateful for right now is just that, you know, that I'm here, that I'm healthy and that I have these moments to cherish and to grow from. And it's really just a journey. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad that you gave us that reminder. And it goes back to that conversation about celebrating the winds and that anchoring feeling so that we can move forward. It is challenging for people who are more action driven. You know, we really have to be intentional about that. And it's, it's interesting you mentioned because I've been struggling with the same thing. And I went back to my prayer practice in the morning because I just know that it's just so much better when I take the time to really be intentionally grateful and in the moment before I run, run, run and do, do, do. <laughs> Finally, um, Tamar, um, and I believe Jewish money matters because Jewish money matters, I, I believe, because we need to connect with where we came from because mm-hmm. it really is everything that we are ultimately. And there's a uh, the fact that um, to me, just even connecting Jewish and money, it just Jewish is who I am. And money is just an expression of value and grace and walking through the world. So it's all connected for me. Yeah, beautiful. Tamar, such incredible work, such a powerful conversation. Where can we find you? I know you have a lot of resources on your website. Tell us what that is. Yes, I shared a little bit, which is that you can get the book, The Millionaire's Mentality. It on uh, at tamarbook.com mm-hmm. and the quiz is in there. So once you get the book, you can take the quiz, but you can also go to tamarquiz.com if you want to take the quiz. 
And uh, that's going to tell you about your real estate investing personality. And then if you just want free resources, um, there's a lot of them inside uh, the millionairesmentality.com. I believe Tamar book will take you there. And inside there are all, uh, there's a toolkit that offers a lot of the uh, tools that I share throughout the book. And you mm-hmm. can download those and work through the worksheets and, and work through a couple of ideas in there. And then also sign up for my newsletter. So uh, awesome. And, you know, and so then you can also get uh, the resources every week. So awesome. And I think you run a mastermind even for women who want to be real estate investors. I do. I do. I have a group coaching program and you can find that also at that website. And Wealth Building Concierge is my is my company and uh, and also a high level mastermind, which is a peer group of seven, eight, nine figure women. Beautiful. Wonderful. We're going to go ahead and check all those out. I'm going to take the quiz, although I know I'm, I'm a passive. I, I know that. <laughs> I'm like, when is it that we're putting our money, Matt? I always tell my husband, he's like, I got this. I got this. I'm like, okay, let's talk about it. <laughs> anyway, anyway, Tamar, thank you so much. So appreciate this conversation. Keep up the good work and come back again. I think we're going to keep having fun. Yeah, I have to write another book so we can talk about that. There we go. There another, we go. I need another year. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. Thanks to Tamar Armas for stopping by. The book again is The Millionaire's Mentality, The Professional Women's Guide to Building Wealth Through Real Estate. You can connect with Tamar via her website, wealthbuildingconcierge.com and on Instagram at wealthbuildingconcierge. And of course, you can purchase a book anywhere books are sold. I'd love to know who in the audience also loves real estate, who's been looking to invest, who's been investing. Let me know. I'd love to hear your stories. Let's connect. On another note, I'm hearing from some of you that you want to know more about dealing with the recession or a recession. (laughs) Send in your questions. I think I might put an episode up just in recessions and answer your questions on the why, the how, how to deal with one, etc. In the meantime, I have a major backlog of questions in the mailbag to answer since I've been off for a while, among many things, dealing with some repairs in my home. And well, you know how that goes, right? And I I think I told you it's summer around here. Kids are out of school. We're hanging out together more. So there's definitely a slower pace when it comes to work. I will be also traveling this Friday, but I hope to get some of those questions that you sent in over the past few weeks, nonetheless, on a Friday episode. So stay tuned for that. In the meantime, I hope you have a great day and a great rest of your week.